All right, if you would turn in your Bibles with me to James chapter 4, please. James chapter 4. We'll get started here pretty quick. James chapter 4. We, uh, we're heading deeper here into our series called Watch Your Mouth. Watch Your Mouth. How many of you have uh, been a little uncomfortable the last couple weeks? Anyone else? Yeah, I, uh, man, I, I, I told you before we started this series that I, I didn't, I hadn't done it for a long time. I had it like on the, on the list to do for a long time. And I, and I, that was because I didn't really want to necessarily hear it myself. I mean, if I'm being honest, right, I, I, I don't want to be honest. And, and I, I hope you understand that, um, you know, the timing that I chose to do this, I think I was in a place where I was at least ready or mostly willing, right, to hear from the Word of God on this topic. Um, and, and that's been tough because I think I was in a place in, in my own definitions of, uh, in my own rules, that I made, I made my own rules up for the way I should speak. You know, I, I had God's law and I said, well, I'll, I'll maybe add to that or I'll take away or, or it's, it's only up to this point and then after that it's okay or, you know, with, as long as it's in certain company, no big deal, and I just really feel that like I've been, I've been wrecked in the last few weeks. And I, I hope I'm not the only one. I hope you're feeling that. I hope that God's word is challenging you, and and that I, my hope is that our church, as the people of God, would come to a place of obedience with the tongue. And and it all starts. We understood from the first couple sermons. It all starts right in the heart, right? What we say, what comes out of our mouth is telling on the heart. It tells us what's in the heart. So um, that's, that's going to be the challenge as well because as I speak, I, I don't always, and I think about, man, if I'm speaking that, where's that coming from? I, I don't like to ask that question. I don't like to think that my heart, it can produce that. Right? So I really want my heart to be transformed in this and I, I want our hearts to be transformed in this. Um, today we're moving forward um, in the series and we're looking at anger and we're looking at grumbling and we're looking at judgment. And um, as we look at these, I, I really have thought through, I've tried to figure out how, how best to, to um, talk about these issues. And, and I, I really have thought and, and just been led by God to say, we're not going to go into these things in, in a deep way of the ways we should be doing these things. Like, so there are, there are appropriate ways and places to be angry. And we'll talk about a couple of those. But we're, it's not about that. I really just think as we come to a series called Watch Your Mouth, we just need to be good at doing that. Like, like, let's not be theologians when it comes to how to be angry. Let's just not be angry. Amen? Like, let's, let's take care of that first. Because if we take care of that first, I think out of that will flow what is appropriate instead of what is inappropriate. So uh, we are looking at those three things today. Today's sermon title is The Slow Boil. The Slow Boil. When you think about grumbling or you think about anger, right? Grumbling is that, like, you know, you, you kind of have that under your breath, grumbling where I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't, this is kind of uncomfortable. This is silly. These guys are, are being improper, whatever it might be. But sometimes that, that grumbling, and it can come out as a, as a total shout, but, but grumbling, if you let kind of something simmer for a while, like, like that, that bad burrito, it's going to come up, isn't it? It's going to like, it's, it's going to ultimately, it can't kink a hose for so long. It's going to explode, right? And, and, and it's like a volcano and and that's where anger comes in. Anger is like this volcano and this wrath out of my, out of my lips. And it's this, and, and like James said, it's like this fire straight from hell with that lava coming out of a volcano. It's the same thing that comes out of our mouth when we respond in anger. So we're going to look at that today and we're going to see what does it mean to be angry and what is it, uh, how, what is sinful anger and what is sinful grumbling, what is sinful judgment. And, and, and we should learn as we look at this, um, really the solution is just be quiet. Right, to, to, to stop and, and think before we speak. So I know there are some questions too that have come up and I really want us to be aware. You know, uh, there's a, I think it was a Mark or Matthew passage last week uh, in 12 where we talk about the, the idea that, that Jesus says, hey, he's talking to the Pharisees and, and he says, you're going to be judged for every careless word you speak. And by it, you'll be acquitted or by it, you'll be condemned, right? And I've had a few, several questions about that. Like, wait a minute, if I don't, if I'm not speaking right, am I going to hell? Well, maybe, I mean, it's, it's about your relationship with Christ, right? 
And what I really want us to, to understand is this. When it's a heart issue, and, and when James says that not a single person can tame the tongue, right? Not, raise your hand if you can tame the tongue. Gotcha, right? You, we, not one of us can tame the tongue. So who can tame the tongue? Only God can tame the tongue. So if my tongue is to be tamed, that means my heart has to be tamed first by him. And then when my heart is, has come to faith in Christ and, and he's regenerating my heart and he's sanctifying me, he's making me more and more like Jesus, when that happens, a fruit begins to be produced in me. And that fruit is, is something I, I want to be produced that is in line with Jesus. I want the fruit of my life to be the fruit of the Spirit of God, not the fruit of the sinful nature that is still in me, that I'm warring against, the flesh. So, so understand, like we, we are in a battle every day, and that battle really is about whether I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to produce a fruit in me or whether I'm going to allow my own desires to sneak in and sneak up and have their way. So today we're going to look again at the slow boil. If you're in James chapter 4, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12 together. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for us and then I'll read that passage and we'll get to work. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much for your love and for your grace. And God, I, I know even as I pray that, I just say that as words sometimes. But God, I'm really thankful for your grace and for your love. You, you love us in spite of us. God, you have every reason to be angry at us and, and God, to grumble about us and to pass righteous judgment on us. But Lord, through the cross, through your sacrifice, you have made a way for us to be restored, to be bought back, to be redeemed, Lord, to be made new in Christ and through faith in Christ. So we thank you for that. Help us to, to trust you more and more. Not to look at our own wisdom, our own understanding, but to trust you. God, not to fight for our own preferences or our own pleasure, God, or our, our own conveniences, but God, to to desire and fight for and war towards obedience, that we would be faithful, that we would trust and obey you. So God, as we look to the scriptures today, I ask that your, your word would be opened up. And God, as it is, it is, as it's read, as it's taught, that our hearts would also be open and receptive to hear and to learn and to grow. God, to be convicted of our sin. God, help us to really inspect down deep what's going on inside of our heart. Expose us, convict us, draw us closer to you that we would believe and we would be obedient. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that Scripture says, the Spirit He made to dwell in us envies intensely, but He gives greater grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. And don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. So today we have the slow boil. And uh, like I said, we have three points today. Number one is this, angry words. Number one we're looking at is angry words. And I, I didn't pick these in any particular order. I, I just thought, you know, they all need to be talked about. I thought maybe we'd do the slow boil and end with anger, but it just happened that 
Anger was what popped up here. So we're, in, in each one of these, we're going to look at kind of the problem. We're going to look at the seriousness of the problem. We're going to look at the solution to the problem. Also today, we're, we're going to be partaking in and celebrating the Lord's Supper. And I think it's a- accurate and, and, and uh, good to look at Jesus' sacrifice today. And, and I, as, I, as I said earlier, that there is a righteous way that Jesus was angry at sinners. And uh, Hoyt read that in, in our Thessalonian passage this morning. Uh, the fact that, that there is a wrath against sin. And God, God does get angry over sin, but he's the righteous, holy God. And that he, he doesn't grumble, but he, he comes against us in judgment, in, in right judgment. And, uh, and we're going to see how that fits together as well as we partake in the Lord's Supper, hopefully getting our heart into a right position with God so we can be prepared and ready for that. So number one, again, is angry words. This little boil, angry words. Uh, we're going to James 1, 1 through 4. This is kind of setting up what's going on again, exposing the heart, and we'll bring in some other text here. I've told you before, this is what I use with, with my children, this, this chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, What is the source of fights and wars among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? Now, if you stop there and think about this, what we are going to talk about today is this war that you and I are going to be having, not well, maybe against each other, but really what we're having with ourselves against God, right? And it's the flesh against the Spirit of God. And so when we talk about what starts fights and wars among you, the answer is the desires within you. Doesn't it come from the desires within your heart? Now, for me, that is very, very convicting. I'm not sure about for you. Because if there's a war or a battle happening out of my mouth, it means my desires are causing that. My heart is what's causing that. And that's, again, the tattletale, right? Mouth is a tattletale of the heart. So I ought to look at the heart and say, what's going on here? What is actually happening? How do I fix that? So he goes on and says, you desire and you do not have. So again, building on this, that we have these desires, we have these, uh, this idea of what we should be and who we should be and how life around us should look. It says, you desire and you don't have. You murder. This goes as far as to say you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you wage war. We battle for silly things, I, I, don't we? We battle, we battle for really silly things. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you might spend it on your pleasures. It's like when we go to God, God, I, I, I ask for this, but it's really just a selfish motive that I might be puffed up or might be more uh, comfortable or, or have more pleasure in some way. He says, you adulterous people, calling us adulterous. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. When we really look at the way we talk and the way we, the way we speak to one another, and uh, it really does tell whether we're a friend of God or a friend of the world. That's, that's what we're talking. That's what James is setting up here. And it comes from the heart. So this is, the, this is a problem. A lot of Proverbs, again, that have to deal with this. Let's look at a few of those. Proverbs 14, 16 says this. A wise person is cautious and turns from evil. Again, from last week, we're talking about the wise person versus the foolish person. We want to be wise, by the way, wise and not foolish. The wise person is cautious and turns from evil, but a fool is easily angered and is careless. As I read these, I look at myself in the mirror and say, wow, how easily angered I have become. How, and, and, when I, and I know it, when I am easily angered, I am what? Careless. We talked about that last week. That we have to be careful what we say. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool, a fool gives full vent to his anger. How many times have I gone to someone and just, and I just, I'm just venting, I'm just venting, I need to vent. I need to, I need to have someone to vent to. And we, again, going back to you, the rules I've made. God says don't gossip, right? And we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But we shouldn't gossip or be slanderers, right? We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't, we shouldn't have filthy language out of our mouth or, of course, joking out of our mouth. I, I, I believe all that. I, I'm like, yeah, God, I'm gonna, that's great, good, good rules. And I, I build on those rules because God needed help, right? I build on those rules. I make those rules be like, well, up to that certain point, right? Well, yes, this is all true. Don't, 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 until or unless is a little caveat, right? Unless I'm with that person or that in that company that I really can just let my guard down and just wear my, my emotions on my sleeve. And then I can just go for it, right? Well, what's, what's that doing to their heart? When I decide I'm going to slander somebody else or gossip about somebody else, what's that doing to their heart? How do, how do you think that makes them feel or how does it make them look at somebody else? It's, it's not what, 
Who am I to make those rules? Well, of course, joking or, or, or foul language. Oh, well, we use that in the proper time. Well, we're on the job site. We, anything goes. Really? That, that wasn't in the Scripture. I didn't see that permission. What it says, though, is what comes out of my mouth reveals my heart. So if I think anything goes and I let anything go, it reveals that my heart is not desiring to be obedient to Christ in what I say. We're reckless. We're, we're, not, we're, we're not careful. We're careless with what we say and how we say it. But oh, I, I need a vent, right? A fool, a fool gives full vent to his anger. But a wise person holds it in check. Here's a good one. This is, again, how this affects somebody else. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer, a gentle answer turns away anger. But a harsh word stirs up wrath. I think we think so often it's only about us. That's really what we are about, right? It's all about us. It's about my heart and how, well, you know, it's what I want, what I desire. And rarely do we think of how it's going to affect the other person. Scripture says that my, my gentle answer will turn away anger, will help people not get angry. Think about this in the home. I, I, first of all, before I had kids, before, before I had kids, I did not think I was an angry person. Anybody with me there? Three of you? I, when I had kids, let's rephrase it. When I had kids, when we had kids, and they got, when they could speak, right, I realized how much anger was inside of me. Can I get an amen? And I hate it. It's so revealing of how, how we treat one another. And think about this scripture of how a harsh word, what a harsh word does, stirs up anger. Isn't that true? When my kids are loud and obnoxious and defiant to me, what does that make me do? It makes me become the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> you don't want to see me angry, right? I mean, that's, that's what, or, or if I raise my voice, what happens on the receiving end? They'll raise it. What do we do? What do you and I do as adults? When you get in an argument, in a debate, the, the the elevation of the, of the, the volume level goes up and, and it's, no one's getting anywhere. It's, we, we build walls with anger and we just build walls upon walls with more bricks of anger. And we get louder and louder and more, more just belligerent with one another and we get absolutely nowhere in that way. But a gentle word, a gentle answer turns away anger. That's hard to do though, isn't it? You know why? Because anger manifests itself from the heart. And the heart desires what James said, right? What causes fights and wars? The desires in my heart. So when you've made me mad, you've made me mad. How dare you make me mad? We, it always starts because it's personal, right? We go to James, right? It's a war, what wages war within you is that, is that passions within you. You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain what you want, right? You do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you ask and don't receive because you ask. You and I ask with bad or false motives because we want to spend it on what we want. This is a very selfish, self-centered person. This is a self-centered heart that I, that I have. When, and my kids revealed that. My kids revealed my anger. Or maybe your spouse reveals your anger. Or maybe the news reveals your anger. But it's in the heart. That's a problem, isn't it? Well, let's talk about the seriousness of this. Because we think, well, it's okay, I should be angry. That was wrong. Okay, we'll get there. Paul, Paul in Galatians 5 is telling the believers there, like, listen, there's this war. We're battling this. The spirit versus the flesh are battling back and forth. And he makes a list of the, of, the, of the works of the flesh. He says the works of the flesh are obvious. So it's this list like, oh yeah, these are all bad. These are all bad. I'm going to read them to you. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery. Like There's some, there's some crazy stuff going on there, right? Get the next few. The, the acts of the flesh, the works of the flesh. Hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, factions, envy, 
Isn't that exactly what we're talking about? All the things, like we say, it was just, it's okay to get angry. Well, I think that the seriousness of it says no, because it goes on, it says about these, uh, I warned you about these things as I did before. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's, this is not the fruit of a believer. This is a fruit of the flesh. We have to practice the fruit of the Spirit, right? And he goes on and says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are self-control. Those are things what we should exhibit from our heart that's been changed by Jesus and producing a fruit in Christ. It's serious, right? Look, Jesus said it in Matthew 5. You've heard that it said to our ancestors, do not murder. Everyone good with that law? No murder. That's bad. He says, whoever murders will be subject to judgment. Jesus says, you've heard that before, right? Yeah, you murder someone, you're in trouble. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. What, what did Jesus just say? When you are angry, you are what? A murderer. The same judgment given to a murderer is the same judgment given to those who are angry from their heart. Same judgment. But where does murder come from? Isn't it from the anger from within our heart? Right? Jesus is saying it's the same thing. You can't just not act on it and pretend your, your heart's okay, is what he's saying. Yes, it's bad to take a human being's life, but it was bad because your heart decided to disobey the Scriptures and not be obedient to the Spirit of God. But that same heart disobeyed the Scriptures and wasn't obedient to the Spirit of God when I acted out in anger as well. He attributes the same thing. Is that, so can we say that anger is serious? Yeah, it's, there's some seriousness to anger, right? So what, what are some of the solutions we see? Ecclesiastes 7. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry. Don't let it rush to be angry, for anger abides in the hearts of fools. I don't, I don't want to be in a hurry to be angry. Does this sound familiar from James chapter 1, verse 20, right? 19 and 20, actually. Uh, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's Ecclesiastes, it's written New Testament style, right? We should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger, human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So it says human anger, so there's God's anger, and there's maybe a righteous anger, and we'll talk about that a little bit as we go on here. Um, but really, it's really important for us to understand that, that, that as part of the solution, and I know it seems like it's just so simple. More often than not, what should I do? I should just keep quiet. I should just not speak. But it's a heart thing, right? Don't make a silly rule that just says, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. We don't do it because your, your mouth shut and your, your sigh and your crossing your arms and your rolling your eyes, same stuff, right? It's all, we have to stop, pause, slow to anger, slow to anger, quick to listen. Those are so important for us to do, slow, so important for us to do. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. But the anger we express, you and I, the anger that you and I express, are profoundly different from God's anger. God's anger is always righteous and always directed at things like sin and evil and injustice. What we tend to do is we tend to weaponize our words and, and repay those we think have wronged us. Do we get that? wronged us. And see, I, I, here's a test for this. Like God's anger versus our anger. If someone says something bad to me, like God, I'm sure, was grieved by that. That was sin. But here's a good test. Like I, I'm typically only upset about that when it's said to me. They say it to you. I'm like, oh, I, don't know, I don't know, whatever. But when it's said to me, now I'm angry. Well, God was angry both times because it was sin and evil and unjust. Right? But we do it when someone's wronged us in some way. Maybe it's a personal slight, right? Or it's a character attack or it's showing favoritism in some way, putting somebody else down. 
But these words are usually spoken because we have been inconvenienced in some way or offended personally in some way. Now, I'm not saying there's not room for conversation. I thought of this, I'm trying to think of examples of this and, and maybe silly ones. And here's, so here's a silly one. After a long day of work or whatever, and, and we, we've got the kids fed and their homework's done, and it's like, oh, finally, man, I, I can relax. Right away, I've already set myself up for failure, right? Because now it's, I'm saying, what, this is me time. It's me time, right? And what do I do? I go over to my recliner, I'm like, I get to relax a little bit, and I can just kind of just take a breather and maybe take a five-minute snooze. And I, I, as soon, without fail, it's like as soon as I put that recliner footrest up, it's like they hear it. Hey, Hey, Dad, could you come do this for me or with me? And what is my response? Boo! Like two seconds earlier or five minutes ago, it's like you were watching, waiting. It's like, it, it's personal. It's not, is it? Who, who am I? Like how, that's, and that's silly, but it's, that's true. That's, that's, sin in my heart, in my life, towards my family, because I was inconvenienced in some way. Or if I was personally offended. How many times have I heard it? My, my parents, and, and listen, children should obey and respect their parents, right? How many times have your parents, have you as a parent said, you will respect me, right? That is not respectful speech to me. No, it's just not respectful speech. Why do I have to add the to me in? Why, why do I do that? Why do I add the to me in? Because my heart is angry. My heart is taking it personally, and I, I need to get justice for me. Whatever happened to shepherding my child? What happened to teaching them what is respectful speech to anybody? Right? What is God grieved at versus what am I grieved at? Does God allow us to express anger? Yes. So here's your, here's your little tiny blip of when maybe we can be angry. More, really, we should just be quiet, right? God does allow anger. One, uh, if you're reacting against actual sin, right? Actual sin. I, I've had so many conversations about this with different parents and trying to figure this out because I read an article uh, probably months ago about anger and, and, and righteous anger. And, and, the, and the author basically said, I really don't think that any of us could ever be righteously angry, right? Because if we really were being honest, there was a, there was a because it hurt me thing involved. But maybe let's assume that it wasn't. And we actually see an injustice or see sin in the world. Like that is wrong. Like that God is grieved at that. So, so if I can do that with my child, but leave me out of it, like I'm the victim, and, and let God be the one that's grieved because it was sin, then, then maybe you've acted righteously, maybe. Right? And, and really, it has to be that. So it's, it's actual sin, and it's, 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 I'm more concerned that the offense occurred not against me, but against God. It has to be coupled with that. That's kind of the two things together. It was actual sin, and that it was, uh, it was against God, not against yourself. And... We express anger in ways that are consistent with Christian character. Right? We, we'll look at the Ephesians 4.29 verse here in a few minutes. So that we, we use speech when we do it. We do it building others up, giving grace to those who listen. We'll see that in a minute. And if you, I want to read Ephesians chapter 4. Um, there's this, this transformation that has taken place. Again, this, this war in the Spirit. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a few minutes again. Um, Ephesians 4.17, it says this. Therefore I say and testify to the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So there was this way that we walked that was inappropriate. We should no longer walk in that way in the futility of their thoughts. My heart has futile thoughts all the time. It thinks it deserves something, right? Uh, they are darkened in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. Again, the hard heart going on. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity and every, every evil kind of practice uh, with a desire for more and more, right? And, and he said in James, the first part of James, you, you, you covet, you desire, and you do not have, right? But now, but that is not how you came to know Christ, right? Assuming that you heard about him and were taught by him as uh, the truth in, is in Jesus. So what were we taught? When we came to know Christ, what were we taught? To take off your former way of life. To take it off. 
The old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Those deceitful desires that wage war, right? We take those off. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Here's a promise from God that God is going to grant you, through faith in Christ, He's going to grant you His spirit. And again, His spirit is going to be doing this work in you. And then to put on your new self, the one created according to God's likeness, in righteousness and purity and in truth. The old is going to be gone and the new has to come and be put on. That's what we're talking about. In the way that we speak, in the way that we walk, in the way that we live and obey, that's what happens. There's this war being waged against the old way and the new. And through Christ, God, He's making all things new. Therefore, putting away, or putting, uh, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. That's what we're talking about a minute ago, right? Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. That idea of letting the sun go down on your anger, man, how many times have you gone to bed angry at night? Not a good idea. Like just, just humble yourself and either let it go because it wasn't worth it or have the conversation that is gentle and respectful and not about you and your, you being offended. It's, it's so important. And don't give the devil an opportunity. If you and I give the devil an opportunity, he will see it all the way to our tongue. He will see it all the way out of our mouth to pierce somebody else's heart and emotions. We have come to Christ in faith. We must take off the old self and be renewed by the Spirit of God. Now, I want to mention something here. This is, this is so important part of this. Because, again, we can go to this, this extreme of rules, rules, rules. I, if I just do this right, I'll be okay, and that shows my heart's right. Not always. We, I, I made a bunch of rules, and I can make all kinds of rules, and religion makes rules, and, and if, if you follow those rules, it doesn't mean you're saved. Doesn't mean you have a spirit of God living in you. Doesn't mean you're you're right with God. Right? The spirit is what counts. So I had another conversation with a with a young mom this week. And we're talking about this, this like discipline with our children. And like, like, like we know how angry we get. I can't believe how angry I am. And and we we talked about like how how stressed that makes us and how how we want to do so much better. And we we know we need to be better at this, right? Here's what I would tell you. Go back to what we started with. What human being can tame the tongue? No human being can tame the tongue. Do you understand that this is connected just to the sinfulness of human humanity? Before we come to faith in Christ, you and I have absolutely no power to resist sin, to flee from sin. We are slaves to sin. And when we come to faith in Christ, he frees us from that slavery. So we no longer will have to obey sin, and we, and we get to now obey Christ. We get to make that choice to say, you know what? I want what Christ wants. So this conversation with this young mom, it was so refreshing because what, what it revealed in both of us is although we at times will respond in anger towards our children, it breaks our heart. And do you know what that's a sign of? The Spirit of God working within us. So I want, here's your encouragement for today. If you're here today being like, Brandon, I'll talk how I want to talk. Fine. Then you're probably a slave to sin and not set free by faith in Christ. That's, and you can't do anything else but do that. Go out, have fun, talk however you want to talk. But if you're here today and you're like, yeah, I really, I really want to be better. I know my heart needs to be in check. I need that. Then congratulations. The Spirit of God lives in you. And the Spirit of God is waging war against those fleshly desires. But here's what I would tell you. Live by the Spirit. Let the Spirit win. And, you, and in order to do that, we have to humble ourselves all the time and, and get, get over what was personal to us. Get over thinking that this life is, is my best life now. Right? We talked about this several months ago. Like This is not our best. It's, it's a best life later. We want this fairy tale that says, I can put my feet up in my recliner and my kids will never bother me. That is not reality, folks. I don't know where that happens but it isn't this, this side of heaven. So get over that. Say, you know, I'm going to let the Spirit of God renew me. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm okay even in that instance saying, you know, son, thank you for asking that. Is it okay if, if Daddy just rests for about 10 minutes? Would that be all right? Or, hey, can we do that tomorrow? But I don't have to, and I don't often say things, right? You, you know, as, as much as you can hear that click of that recliner, what else can you hear? When that recliner goes down, I mean, my, when, when my kids are bickering in my, in my family, my dad did this all the time. We, and I, maybe on purpose, maybe not. I mean, I do it on purpose. But we're in the recliner, right? And the kids are bickering down the hallway. Hey, kids, let's be nice to one another. Hey, kids, 
hey kids, and then they don't listen, right? So what do you do? You flip that switch up and that thing goes down and, and you, they know, oh man, dad's up, dad's out of his chair, it's serious, it's go time, right? We gotta be, be careful. But we don't do that, right? We don't act in anger, that, that's, that, that can be anger. I gotta be careful of that, be, be silent and stealthy anyway. It's probably better anyway for the kids. Show up at the door, ha <laughs> ha, fooled you, anyway. The battle, the, ba- the, the struggle is real, isn't it? But if the battle is real, the struggle is real, it means God's spirit is in you. If it's not real, it means you're a slave to sin and you're going to continue to sin and, and you won't have any victory over this. So what is the proper perspective then? We talk about anger. What is the proper perspective? What helps our heart let spirit of God renew us? What helps our, our mouths be quick to listen, right? Our ears be quick to listen, our mouths be slow to speak and our heart be slow to anger. What helps that? It's this. It's knowing that the anger of God towards you is just. That if you were to look in the mirror and analyze your life and your actions and your attitudes, God's anger, God's holy, perfect anger against you would be 100% justified. And you and I have no excuse. But the beautiful thing is this. That God in His infinite love as a just God punished sin in Christ Jesus. That the the sin that he was angry at in you and the sin that he was angry at in me was put upon Jesus Christ and God's wrath was placed on Jesus for us. Amen? Who am I to be angry when God has dealt so justly with me through Christ. Isaiah 53 says, He himself, Jesus, bore our sickness and he carried our pains. We in turn regard him as stricken. He was struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him, that is Jesus, for the iniquity of us all. And then in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. That's amazing. Jesus Christ took the anger and wrath of God because of your sin and because of my sin on himself so that you and I could be free and forgiven and that we wouldn't have to be angry at others. As we partake in the Lord's Supper in a little while, we remember that. We, we think about anger and, and know that the anger of God, the wrath of God was satisfied on Christ Jesus for me, for you and I who believe. And, and that's what we celebrate. We celebrate that, that it's done, it's finished, it's gone. And there's forgiveness in Christ Jesus. So who am I to be angry? All right, that was number one. Number two, the slow boil. That was probably the biggest one, the deepest one, right? This, but this one, next one's pretty serious. Grumbling. Number two is grumbling. Again, again in our fallen sinful nature, our hearts are naturally bent towards expressing discontentment through grumbling and complaining. Like that's just, we have a natural bent like towards that. Like the fallen world's like, I just don't like what's going on here. And that we do that, we grumble. So let's go back to our James passage and look at verses five through 10. Again, remember that this desire is at war in us against the spirit of God, right? So that this is a good thing to know. James 4, beginning in verse 5, or do, you, or, or do you think it's without reason that Scripture says, the Spirit He made to dwell in us envies intensely. Right, so there's this battle, this war going on. And He gives greater grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy turned to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, th- this is a pretty deep passage, but ultimately what it's saying is this, uh, that you and I are at war with the Spirit of God in our flesh, and that God wants us to resist to be proud, and he wants us to uh, be humble, because he'll give grace to the humble. And, and then so, therefore, we would submit ourselves to God. I want to submit and surrender myself to God. I want to resist the devil, and he will flee from me. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Then he says, cleanse your hands. So this, this idea of like, I want to be where God is. I want to be what God is do, doing what God is doing. I want to be having the perspective of what, what he sees and what he is expecting of me. I want that. How do you do that? Well, we cleanse our, cleanse our hands 
Purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's, it's pointing out the fact that we want what we want. And we need to stop wanting what we want. We, wanna, we need to want what God wants. He said, be miserable, mourn, and weep. That's just that sorrow over sin. That sorrow over the condition of my heart. The sorrow that I'm feeling as I, I'm wrecked week in and week out with this, with this sermon series. The sorrow that you're feeling as you're, you're wrecked week in and week out. Like, oh man, I'm miserable. I'm just, I, I mourn and weep over that, right? Literally have done that. I hope you, you do too. And he says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy turned to gloom. This is kind of interesting, right? Shouldn't we have laughter and shouldn't we have, have joy? Yes. But when we have joy and, and laughter over the things of the world, we need to get rid of that. It's saying, it's, all, it's talking about the heart. Get rid of these things that you're laughing and having joy over and, and replace those. With, he says, turn, the, turn your laughter into mourning. Mourn over those things of the world. Mourn over those attitudes of the world. Turn your joy to gloom. Think, think that there's darkness in those things that you took joy in once. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourself. So I'll say this, don't grumble, but be humble. Don't grumble, but be humble. Philippians 2, here's the problem again. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. When Paul says do everything, what does he mean by everything? I mean, I, I have my own rules, right? I've established that. What does Paul mean? Everything. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I, I, oh, man. I, I don't think I can go 20 minutes in a day. I, don't, I honestly don't think I've, I've gone 20 minutes in a day unless I'm sleeping. Without grumbling. It's amazing, isn't it? The things we grumble over. Well, I don't like that. Or, oh, another commercial. Or, oh, man, i got to do this again. Or, oh, there's milk gone bad. Like, we just grumble. We just complain. And those are stupid, silly things. But we need to take this seriously. I, 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 let's go on in Philippians. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Why? So that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you will shine like stars in the world. I, it, I don't shine very well when I participate grumbling back and forth about politics with someone downtown. There's no shining going on. It's just not good. I mean, Right? How do we do this? By holding firm to the word of life. We hold firm to the word of life. We hold firm to Jesus. We don't hold, hold firm to my own desires and pleasures and wants. It all comes from the desires. What wages war within? Doesn't it come from the desires within you? Yes, right? I hold firm to the word of life, not my own desires. And then Paul says, then I can boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run and labor for nothing. He's like, I really want you to get this so I can say, man, they got it. And I want to get it. I, I want to hold on to the word of life. I don't want to grumble. I want to be humble. Brandon, grumbling's not too bad. We all do it. It's just part of life. You know, I, I mentioned this in a sermon a few weeks ago at the end of Psalms. We talked about groaning. We groan, right? We're in this world and we groan. It's okay to groan. It's different than grumbling. Groaning says, man, look how fallen the world is. Thank God he's, he wants to redeem it. And thank God there will be a day when he does. There's our hope. I'm sure I can groan. I should groan. But to grumble, let's, let's see the seriousness here. Numbers chapter 21 they sent out from, uh, from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. This is the Israelites coming out of Egypt, right? They've been rescued out of slavery in Egypt, and Moses and Aaron are leading them to the promised land. Like God is going to just do an awesome thing. Uh, and, and what happens there? They're on, they're on the way out, and the people, it says, but the people became impatient. So here's the core of grumbling. It's impatience. It's not, and that, that's the opposite of my dear brothers and sisters, every one of you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's patience. They became impatient because of the journey. Like, oh, man. Do you, understand, do you get this? I mean, this, I found this ironic. They're going where? They're going to the promised land. The land flowing with what? Milk and honey. And they're like, but do we have to travel there? No, no, just pause. I'll just make the earth go like this, and then you're good. They're, they're grumbling. They became impatient because of the journey. It's this treacherous thing, right? And it says, verse 5, the people spoke against God. You know what grumbling is? Grumbling is speaking against God. 
Your impatience grew because of the journey, because of life, and then you spoke against God. The people spoke against God and Moses. Says, Why have you led us up to, uh, from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Oh, boo-hoo. Right? We're on a hike to the promised land. You're, we're going to get there. You know, when we talk about Psalm 23, and we went through that series in Psalms a few years ago, Psalm 23, it, it, it says what? Even though I what? Walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. And what does it say? It's like, surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like, like there's going to be a day. I'm going somewhere. There's a destination. And what does it call the journey? The valley of the shadow of death. Why do, so why do we think we have to be comfortable here? Why do we think we have to have it our way here? Why do we think we have to have the best choice situations and scenarios here? Because of our sinful heart. So they grumbled. And, and, and here's how serious this is. You know what happened next? The Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and they bit them so the Israelites died. Boy, I tell you, I want to stop grumbling. And he's not going to send poisonous snakes to bite me and die, but it shows the seriousness of this, doesn't it? It shows how, how serious that condition in our heart is to grumble against God, to grumble against God. The people came to Moses and said, we, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord. Yes, you have. And against you, intercede with the Lord so he will take these snakes away from us. And Moses then interceded for the people. Grumbling, our grumbling, reveals what we think about the promised land. Our grumbling reveals what we think about the promised land. It reveals whether or not we really trust God or whether or not we don't. You see, we would rather have our own promised land here and now and not wait for God and what God has promised for us. So we complain. Paul writes about this instance in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10, he says, let us not commit sexual morality as some of them did, talking about the Israelites. And, and again, like Paul did earlier, he's putting this sexual sin in with this hatred and discord and, and grumbling, right? So let us not do that as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. Okay, that's bad. And then verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 10, let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. He just is referencing the story from Numbers, right? What happened to the Israelites. And what he's saying is it's not that they just grumbled, but their grumblings revealed that they were really testing Christ. They tested Christ and some of them were killed. You see, grumbling is a serious offense for the very reason that Paul said right here that it tests God. It puts God to the test. And here's what it says. When we put God to the test in this way, when we grumble, even in the most minute ways, it, it, is, it says this, um, God, I can do a better job of writing this story. Um, God, that should be left out of the script of my life. When we grumble, we say, I don't like my circumstances. I don't think they're fair. And if I could write the script of my life, I could do a much better job and it would make me far happier. What am I consumed with as I say that? Self. I'm consumed with self as I say that. What starts wars and fights among you? The desires within yourself. Self. I'm consumed with self. Complaining tests and questions the wisdom and sovereignty of God. And it's a form of idolatry. It's a form of idolatry, and here's why. Uh, we, we covet something that God was not pleased to give us at that moment. We say, God, you should have given me this. My life should look like this. My circumstances should feel like this. But you didn't give it to me, so I'm going to grumble. And what we're saying is, I would rather have had something different than what you provided for me. We're testing God in that way. We are faithless in that way. And, and listen, there's, there's a lesson to be learned in those circumstances, in that life, during that journey, in the valley of the shadow of death. death one of those lessons is that he is with me. Wherever I go, and he will guide me, and he will lead me, and he will correct me, and he will discipline me, but I have to trust in him. So what's the solution? We see the seriousness. What's the solution? If we go back to Numbers. Uh, he, you remember Moses interceded for the people? Then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake image and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten looks at it. They will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it to a pole. Whenever someone was bitten, he looked at the bronze snake and he recovered. What was God doing? He was saying, you didn't like to trust me, 
and now you're going to have to trust me. And they lived. They trusted him and they lived. How about in Corinthians? We, we see that they were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples for us. And they were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. What's Paul saying is a solution? There's, there's an example already set. We don't have to fall into that again. And it's written down for our instruction so we can learn from it and choose differently. It says, so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. And he goes on another promise here. Another solution. No temptation. No temptation, let's say, to grumble, right? No temptation has come upon you except what's common in humanity. But God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he will always provide a way out so you might be able to bear it. There's always a way out. Again, if we go back to the very simplest form of this, the best way out is this. Right? Just, just pause. I, I, here's what I've disciplined myself to do the last few weeks. When I'm, I'm, I'm feeling my heart is irked, I do an internal, in the mind, hmm. Like I, I, I try to like audibly in my mind say that. That's kind of weird, right? Hmm. So it makes me pause. And it makes me think before I speak or react or grumble or complain or get angry. Hmm. What do I do here? So what was the solution? Trust Christ. Look at the snake on the pole. What's the solution that that Paul gives us? Don't test Christ, but instead trust him. I want to look at Jesus real quick here. We talk about the Lord's Supper. I think Jesus could have grumbled. He was around a bunch of us. And and the more, I mean, the more he spent time with a bunch of us, knowing he's like, I gotta die for them? What'd he do? He died for them. He died for us. So he's he's getting ready to go to the cross and he's in the garden of Gethsemane. And and I think here's the proper way to grumble. He goes to the Lord in Luke 22. He says this, he he prays. He says, Father, Father, if, if you're willing, Take this cup away from me. What was this cup? The cup he was about to drink and swallow was the the cup of death on the cross. And what did he pray? Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Almost almost grumbling, right? It's like, why are you grumbling, Jesus? No, he's praying. He's praying to the Father. And see, that's what we should do. We should go to the Father with our grumbles and say, I don't know that I like this, God. I'm not not sure. Instead of just under our breath, muttered like, no. We go to, the, go to God. God, I'm not sure I like this. I'm not sure this feels good. I'm not sure what you're doing here. What did Jesus say? He said, yeah, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, what did he do? Not my will, but yours be done. He says, you know what? I, I'm, I'm not sure I like this. I, it's not comfortable. I, it's certainly not going to be painless and, and, and just a great time going to the cross. And, and these guys kind of are really bumming me out. Is there any other way to do this? Like, maybe we should do something different. But he's talking to his father, and, 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 but he says, he yields himself and says, you know what? I'm not going to grumble. I don't, I don't have to understand your will. I will just submit to it. Not my will be done, but your will be done. So in our, in our opportunities to grumble, which are, like I said, like within every 20 minutes, there's probably an opportunity to grumble. We, we need to stop and say, you know, God, I, I don't understand why. But I trust you, and I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna trust you with with what's going on. That you're sovereign over this. I'm gonna trust you with my heart. That you can change my heart and my attitude. I'm just gonna trust you as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That you're with me, and that you're gonna comfort me, and you're gonna guide me, and you're gonna discipline me. And 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 you know what? I'm just gonna go along with the journey because I'm gonna be with you one day. That's that's the solution to this. I'm not sure I like this, Lord, but your will be done. And that's what Jesus did. Aren't you glad that Jesus did that? Aren't you glad Jesus went to the cross and offered his body and his blood as sacrifice for our sin so that we could be made whole? Absolutely. Finally, the slow boil, number three, is judgmental words. We see it in judgmental words. Going back to James 4, our passage for today, verses 11 and 12. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. So the first part there, it, it, we're being exposed with our speech of what we think of other people. 
and specifically the brethren. Oh, well, did you see, did you see so-and-so? I can't believe they, they're always talking. They're doing this. That's exposes our heart. What do we believe about people? It goes on. Uh, you defame the, uh, and judge the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. What the law of God says is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? The greatest commandment, love. We're to love one another and not criticize or slander or, or be judgmental towards one another. That's, we're not to do that. We're to love. And if we don't love and we said criticize or judge and, and slander one another, if we do that, then we are saying the law doesn't matter and I'm above the law. Like I said earlier, I write my own rules. I call that, that rule is good, but we're going to go a little farther here. This is what James is saying. Listen, it exposes what you think about others. I, I don't need to love them. They're, they're really making me mad. In fact, I'm going to judge them. And, and then and when I judge them, I'm not following the law of God to love them. So now I'm above the law. And then I need a wake-up call because if I feel that way about people and I feel a way about God's law, then what is it saying about how I feel about God? That God, I don't know if you're really doing that good of a job here. He goes on, if you judge the law, you're not a doer, but you're the judge. And it says, there is one lawgiver and judge. It's not you, and it's not me. Who is able to save, there's one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, I know we talk about this, you know, oh, you see, you see there's, it says don't judge each other. There's a proper way for judging one another. There's a proper way to do that, and we should be holding each other accountable and, and doing that with gentleness and respect. We'll see that in a few minutes. But when we talk about this kind of judgment, what we are saying is it's, it's condemning. It is condemning. It is assigning condemnation. It is assigning judgment to a case is what we're talking about. And see, we use judgmental speech when we use words of certainty. I, I say this in my counseling times when you're like in my office and, I, and with my kids. or I try to avoid always and never. They always do that. Really? Always? That's, judgment. That's judgmental, right? They never Really, never? Never once. Interesting, okay. Those are judgmental, that's, that's judgmental words, it's condemning. You, you have said, I know the entire story, I've seen it from beginning to end, and I can assign the verdict. No, you can't. They're, they're, this, it's like, it, can, it can be blatant anger, right? Judgment can come across as blatant anger. But it, it also, it's usually more subtle, right? It's, it's those words that, uh, that, that don't carry complete information. And, and here's, here's what we say. We say like, well, I, I know why they did that. Do you? Let me tell you this, this story. This dad and his two kids get on a bus, a public transit bus. And they're, they're on this bus, and the kids are, the dad just worn out. You can see he's tuckered, he's tired. He sits down on the, on, the, on the seat, and his kids are just running up and down the, the bus. I mean, it's one of those things that like, you're like, come on. You parent your, parent your kids. This is, this is a respect thing. Right? And the kids are running up now, bouncing off things, bumping into people, you know, dropping stuff. And they're just, they're just going back and forth like crazy. And someone finally has the nerve, the gumption to, to talk to the dad. says, hey, listen, you need to control your kids. What's going on? Man, this is, this is ridiculous. I don't understand how you could let them run amok like this. Because that person knows the whole story, right? The dad goes on to say, he says, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. Their mom, my wife, just passed away about an hour ago, and I'm just, I'm just feeling lost. I have no idea what to do, and, and we just need to get out of the hospital, and we're, we're just going to go home, and they're, they're on the bus, and I, I don't know. They just need to get some energy out. How do you feel now? But you knew. You knew their motive. You knew what was going on. You knew the entire story. I've, I knew the entire story. How many times have I known the entire story and made judgment? on what I really had no idea about. We pass judgment far too quickly when we don't have enough information. And frankly, we may never have enough information, so we should just be quiet. And if it's within our preview, and if God graces us with an opportunity in relationship with someone to, to listen and to guide, then that's awesome. But if he doesn't, then we don't. We don't share those things and say, I can be God in this, and I can, I'm omniscient, I know all the information, I'm going to give you a judgment. And that's, we aren't. How serious is this? Well, Jesus talks about this. Matthew 7, do not judge, so you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard by which you judge others. Go back to that bus analogy, right? And you'll be measured by the same measure you use. Why? 
Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye and not notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Seriousness, right? There's seriousness here. And so what does this mean? It doesn't mean not to judge, no. It means that you and I usually have a lot more problems than we actually think we do. And those problems in the heart are desires in the heart that cause us to not see things clearly as we should. So what's the solution? Well, Jesus says it. Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye. So this, there's a solution. There's, a, there's an opportunity to judge. Take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. I've often thought about this like, the, the thing I'm doing is a way bigger deal than the one they're doing. That's, that's kind of what you see there, right? But, but one of the things is this. Now, now that I have analyzed my heart, now that I have checked myself and taken that plank of wood out of my own eye, now I, and I let that heal maybe a little up, now I can actually see clearly to assist, assist my brother or sister with a speck that's in theirs. And, and how might you remove a speck out of their eye? With the two-by-four you pulled out of yours? No! So carefully. So gently. So compassionately. So tenderly. That's how we do it. That, that, and that doesn't say, well, you always, and you deserve this, and well, you got what was coming. That's judgmental speech. What else is the solution? Paul writes in Ephesians, let no foul language come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up others so that it might give grace to those who hear. Grace, that's how we do microspec surgery. Grace upon grace and compassion and what is good for building up others. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. This goes back to the very beginning. There's a war going on within us. And for you and I that have the Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit's going to be in check. And, and we don't want to do something that's going to grieve the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to swell up in us and to produce a fruit that is in, in kind with the Holy Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You are sealed by Him for the day of redemption. So let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. This is interesting. This is hard. What's the solution here? We know that the Spirit is involved, and it's really tough. If I told you, okay, here's your solution, church. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another and forgive each other. You're like, Brandon, that's, that's a lot easier said than done. You're, you're just telling me to stop being angry? That's your solution? Stop being angry. This goes on. Paul goes on to give us the solution, the solution of solutions. And it's what we're celebrating today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. First was, the Spirit of God is in you. And what should we be reminded of? He says, yes, get rid of all these things. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Just as God also forgave you in Christ. Yeah, you and I can't just give up being angry. But you and I, by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God, can look at Jesus and say, holy cow, you have forgiven us of everything. And because you have forgiven me, and because of what you did on the cross and what you've accomplished for me, I am not going to look down on my brother or sister and judge them. I'm not going to be angry with my kids and, and, be, and be harsh with them because I'm inconvenienced. I'm sure the cross may have inconvenienced Jesus a little bit. How do I get rid of these things? I turn to Jesus, and I see what he has done for me. And then by the Spirit of God, I do that for other people too. Amen? That's what we do. That's, and, and I hope as we go on this week that we will just be quiet. And we will, we will know how much Christ has done for us, and we will pass that grace on to others. And when we need to speak, we can speak. But it's a lot less often than we think it should be. Amen? Let's stand together as we pray and prepare our hearts for worship in the Lord's table. Father, we, we love you and we thank you for your word. And, and God, we know that it will not return void or empty. And, and God, I, I pray that as we, as we look, to, look forward to this week, as we, and maybe we're looking forward to it, we look forward chronologically to it at least. God, I, I pray that you would help us 
and reveal what's in our heart that we would know, we would know how, how desperately wicked we are. How often that we get angry or God, how often we grumble at the silliest things or at the, at the biggest things. But God, how often we complain and, and we test God. We, we test the sovereignty of God and we don't trust him. We don't trust that he's with us and walking with us. God, help us to do that better. Help us to not be judgmental, Lord, and use judgmental speech. God, assuming that we have all the information of what is going on in someone's heart and soul. Help us be kind and compassionate to build each other up, giving grace to those who hear. And God, help us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. Lord, ultimately, we thank you that you you took all the anger upon yourself on that cross. When you died, you died for the sin that we deserve to die for. And Lord, today as we celebrate Lord's Supper, we, we remember the, the body and the blood that was sacrificed on our behalf and that through faith in Christ, we can trust you and we can be forgiven. We thank you for that. God, we thank you that you, you modeled it when you right before you went to the cross. You could have grumbled and complained about us, but you submitted to the will of the Father, the will of the Father to put you on the cross for us, in spite of us. And Lord, you are a good judge. You are the righteous judge. And God, we, we know that you judge fairly, and, and God, our sins have been judged on Christ, so we, we rest in that. And as we know we have malice to get rid of and things to, to overcome and, and to throw aside, we do that because you have forgiven us through Christ Jesus. We thank you that you first loved us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.